Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. We're just doing a little shuffle shuffle. Nothing wrong with that. I hope you guys are well. Man, it feels like church in this place today. I'm preaching from my living room. That's pretty weird, but I love it. Guys, the, that song so perfectly segues into the word that God has for us today. And the, the lyric that stuck out to me from that song was, In whom my hope is securely found. I hope that wherever you are, wherever you're watching from this morning, that you can do a, do a soul check, do a heart check, and ask yourself, Is my hope securely found in Jesus what do you, where does your hope lie this morning? There's so many distractions. There's a lot pulling for your attention. There's a lot luring you into. There's cause. There's a lot. There's so much out there that can distract us, get us off course. There's so many temporal, earthly, short-lasting things that that we can rest our hope in for a minute and then it just gets ripped out right from under our feet like this rug did to Cameron this morning. He went sliding over here to his guitar and the rug about about took him under. But our hope this morning can be securely found in Jesus. Anybody made the short drive from here to Greenville? I know I have. I love going to Greenville. I love going to the mountains. And when you're driving from Columbia to Greenville, when you hit Spartanburg on, what is it, 385? You hit Spartanburg, you get a little bit beyond Spartanburg. And in, in, in our car, in our family, what we do when we're driving to Greenville is we, we, we challenge each other. Who's the first one that can see a mountain? The first person to see a, a peak, like when you come around a corner or you're, you go up over a little hill, the first person that can see a mountain. And, and you just shout it out and... and we're just so anticipating getting to the mountains and, and being in Greenville and Traveler's Rest and the areas beyond Jonesboro Gap, all those beautiful places in our upstate. But if you've made that drive from Columbia to Greenville, everybody does the same thing. No matter where you're going, no matter where you came from, everybody looks up to see if they can see those hills off in the distance, if they can Find those mountains around the curve, around the next bend. And then when you get up there and you're just driving up and down and around and through those mountains, it's just, it just takes you in. You can't help but just look up to the hills. You look up to the mountains and you feel some type of way. Me and my wife always have this debate because uh, one of our end goals, one of our um, savings goals with our finances uh, not, in, not in the near future, but in the distant future, is to own a mountain house. We want to do that. We want to do that badly. We've always wanted, to, we're just, we feel some type of way about the mountains, like I said. But my wife is just as much, if not more, of a beach person than a mountain person. Anybody a beach person out there? 
You love the sand, you love the salt water, you love the ocean. Okay. Well, y'all are a spiritual bunch. I have to convince my wife a little bit sometimes that the mountains are more spiritual, they are more godly than the beach because of the passage we're going to read today. And I have to teach her and admonish her in the Lord from Psalms 121, our text today, and just kind of kind of, kind of refocus her that God would have us to do a mountain house because the mountains are more biblical. We just see it all over scripture. I'm playing. The ocean is great too, but our text does happen to be Psalm 121 this morning about the mountains. And I want us to gain a little heavenly perspective this morning. I want us to be encouraged. I want us to walk away um, with our eyes lifted up. I want us to walk away today with uh, a focus not on the earthly, not on the temporal, not on the distractions, not on the chaos, not on the divisions. I want us to, I want us to live above the noise. I want us to live with eyes up, eyes up. So let's read our text this morning, Psalm 121. You'll see the words there on the screen. I'm going to read it uh, from the ESV version. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus we lift our eyes to you as the creator, as the sustainer, as our defender. Your church was made for such a time as this, as Eric spoke about last week. Your body and your bride have to be in a position to be used, in a position to see your purpose behind all of the noise. And the only way we can do that, Jesus, is by lifting up our eyes, shifting our focus upward. God, it may be in the quietness of our, of our heart this morning, in the quietness of our living room or our kitchen or our bedroom, wherever we may be watching, you may be saying in the stillness, look up, child, look up. I pray that we would hear your voice above everything else today. These are your words. Jesus, make them come alive in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I was raised on the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I was raised on a little bit of Donnie McClurkin. Anybody saved out there know what I'm talking about? A little Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, a little Psalm 34. Uh, they're known, this, this, this choir that's in New York is known for taking the Psalms and putting them into worship. And if you know Jim Cimbala and his ministry, they have so many great books and resources out about worship, about prayer, about uh, church. He's a great father of our faith. And if you're familiar with Psalm 21, it could be because you know the song, the song entitled My Help. And Donnie McClurkin has sung it. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir has sung it. Lots of different renditions and versions of that song. But 
for the last couple of weeks, really about a month, I have not been able to get away from this song, and I was wondering what the Lord would have me preach in my last session in Grab Bag. There's a lot of different political things I could preach about, a lot of different racial things I could preach about, a lot of different chaos, and uh, you know, I've kind of talked about unity already, and and I was just asking God and, 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 and just looking to Jesus uh, to give me the right perspective for this sermon, the right words. And every time I would pray and search the scriptures, that song would come into my head. I would hear it played on my Spotify playlist. And it's as if the Lord was saying, Jim, just, you just need to pour out your heart into this psalm, this Psalm 121. This, this is what the people need. They, they need encouragement. They need a perspective shift. They need a, a, a difference of focus. And so today I just want to talk about that for a minute. You know, we as humans, we love to escape reality, don't we? That's what we do through movies. Everybody loves a good movie. You just kind of forget about the cares of the world. We do it through music. The music industry does a great job or evil job, however you look at it, of taking our thoughts and, and putting them somewhere else. We do it through vices of drugs like alcohol, medication. We've done it through unhealthy relationships. We do it through sex. We do it through vacations. We do it through getaways. Or maybe for you, an escape from reality is one word. It is called babysitter. I don't know what your escape from reality may be. It's not wrong necessarily to escape reality. We can use wrong and evil methods to do so. But I want to teach you from Psalm 121 that when we add to this reality, when we add the element of fear of the unknown, it's even more enticing and sometimes it's urgent. It's urgent, even necessary to get away, to, to, to get help, to turn from what you perceive as reality the, the worries of this world to find relief, to find peace. And I'll admit, I've, I've needed that help at times over the past couple of months to keep my head up. I've needed help from other pastors on how to lead a church through a crisis like this. I've needed help maintaining my joy like we talked about two weeks ago. I've needed help giving the answers to those who have been asking what our stance is on this or or when are we reopening? Why have we closed? When are things going back to normal? Will the church ever be the same? When are all these events that we canceled, when are they going to get rescheduled? And the answer to a lot of that is simply, I do not know. I wish I did, but I need help. Can any of us admit out there, wherever you're watching, that we just need help? We need help personally. We need help individually. We need help as humanity. We need help as a nation. We need help. We need an escape we need an alternative. We need a different focus, a different perspective. We need something. We need help because here and now, this hell we're living through is just not cutting it. In this beautiful psalm, David gives us a place to turn to. He gives us a breath of fresh air. He gives us a solace and a sanctuary for our mind and our soul this psalm gives us the answer to that desperate and yearning question of our souls. Where do I turn for help? Where do I turn for help? Where do I turn for help? It's often called the soldier's psalm. It was thought to be written by David while he was being pursued by Saul in the mountains, in the high fields. 
And to just imagine him in that rugged territory of old Israel, old Jerusalem. You know the city is surrounded by mountains. It's a very mountainous region. Imagine David being up there. The, the Bible literally tells us in First and Second Samuel, there are stories of how David would be on one side of the mountain. Saul, King Saul, would literally be on the other side of the mountain, could not find David. He was chasing David from one side of the mountain. It's like they were playing ring around the rosy. David was over there on that side. Saul was over here. And in the midst of a lot of these tumultuous and chaotic times, David wrote some of the most beautiful psalms, some of the most beautiful prayers and songs and, and heart cries to God for mercy, for his judgment on evil, for him to come through, for him to provide, for him to rescue, for him to uh, shelter him. And Psalms 121 is just one of those psalms. And just imagine David sitting up on one of these mountains saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's obvious we can't turn to ourselves during this time. We can't turn to our surroundings. We are so burdened and busied by the pleasures of this world and also the cares and its troubles. It escapes our thoughts sometimes that there is an alternative way to live. We can live with lifted eyes. We, you and I can live with lifted eyes. Do you remember Colossians 4? We'll preached about it. Set your affection on what? Things of this world, set your affection on things that are around you. No, the verse says in Colossians 4, 1, set your affections on things above. It's no wonder God created beautiful landscapes like this one behind me or like you've seen in Greenville or maybe you've been out to the Rockies or somewhere even massively beautiful. If you're Jared Moody and you're watching, you've, well, you've just about seen every mountain in the world. But there's no wonder God created these peaks and these summits and these capstones of beautiful landscape up for us to look up. And what I find so encouraging about this psalm is that there is help. It's not like David's asking this question rhetorically because, well, there's just no help to be found. He's not asking this question in this Psalm 121 describing his his anxiousness. He's not describing the fact that he's got all these questions and that there are no answers. He's not describing a situation that looks bleak without hope, without a cause, without answers. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm here. I'm, my, my life is being pursued by the king of the land. And I'm here to tell you that even when I feel chased down and surrounded and beaten down, I know that there is help available. There is help. It's not that there is no help. It's not that there are no answers. No, it's the opposite. There is help. Church, take hope in the fact that there is help. That's the most encouraging part. I know that you have felt like no one was around or no one has cared when you were in a moment where you needed help, but God sees he is a very present help in trouble. Live with lifted eyes. Thomas Fuller, an old guy, he's dead and gone. He wrote this in the 1600s. He says, in the agony of our troubled conscience, 
Always look upward to a gracious God to keep your soul steady. Looking down on yourself, you find nothing but what will increase your fear, infinite sins, good deeds, few and imperfect. It is not your faith, but God's faithfulness you must rely on. One thing's for sure, and David understood this. We don't have the answers. He had received a call when he was a teenage boy that he would be king. And he's sitting here on the side of a mountain decades later. He doesn't have the answers. He knows God called him to be king, but it's not reality. It hasn't unfolded in his life the way he thought it would. But he's saying, when all else fails around me, when my life is literally ripped out from underneath, I can lift my eyes to the hills. For that's where my help comes from. What strength and confidence we could muster up in ourselves has failed us and exposed us. David was humble enough to realize that he needed help. When David had nowhere to turn, he looked up. In verse 2, we read, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Why is this significant? Why is it significant that we must turn to Jehovah? Lord is in all capital letters, meaning that's the most powerful, most prominent, most lifted up and holy name of God, Jehovah. The one that we can't even say, the Tetragrammaton. What if God is waiting on his children to look up? We've been looking for help from the health experts. We've been looking for help from, we've been looking for hope in the numbers. We've been looking for support from articles and friends that help us feel good about our opinions. We've been turning to the media. We've been searching for answers for our kids, for school, for church, for work. God is saying, look up, child. God is saying, eyes off your surroundings, eyes on me, eyes on me. Listen, church, escape. God is saying, escape your reality from mine. Look up to the hills. For where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you can't make much of what's going on around you, you can make much of the God above you. Let me say that again. When you can't make much of what's going on around you, you and I can make much of the God who is above us. The creator, the sustainer is providing the help you need. Of all the places of scripture could teach us to turn for help in praising the almighty, it takes us directly to the source of all comfort, all wisdom, all knowledge, all peace, all understanding. That's true help, my friend. Do you realize what verse 2 is saying? It's saying all of heaven and earth are at his disposal. He's the creator of the whole thing. It says that when we, as a people, when we as his children don't worship him as he ought to be worshipped, he can make the rocks cry out. In other words, all of heaven... All of what we see in the skies, all of what we see around us in nature, all of what lies beneath the surface, all of the depths of the ocean, everything in heaven and earth is at his disposal. That is who our help comes from. That's an almighty source, folks. That's a source that's never going to run dry. That's a source that's never going to run out of power. That's a source that will never run out of energy. That is our creator sustainer. Read Colossians 1. Read Colossians 1. He's the creator, sustainer. Everything, everything within us is, is held in his hands. Did you know if the earth were one inch closer to the sun, we'd all burn up? 
If the earth were one inch farther away from the sun, we would all freeze. God is the creator and maker, sustainer, infinite source of all things heaven, all things earth, all things humanity, and he is here as your help for such a time as this in 2020. Can he not suffice your needs? Can he not calm your fear? Can he not bring peace in your anxiousness? He is not caught off guard or surprised by the things going on beneath his feet. Revelation calls this earth his footstool. I have a footstool over there. I don't value that footstool much. I don't get anxious or fearful about what goes on on that footstool. I don't, I'm not afraid of fibers get a little loose or there's a little stain here or a little a little spillage there it's a, it's a footstool i could toss it out the window if i need it and made a new one god god is the designer and creator and the sustainer and the defender says this earth guys it's my footstool what are you so worried about what are you so anxious about turn it lift your eyes up Look up to the hills. That's where your help comes from. Two quick points for you, and then we'll close out. I want us to learn from this psalm that we need to trust on the mountain of his promise. And number two, we need to rest on the mountain of his protection. If you're taking notes this morning, that's it for you. That's it. I just want you to write down those two phrases. Trust on the mountain of his purpose. And rest on the mountain of his perfection. And that's what verses 3 through 8 tell us about. David says in verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Give attention that once we've identified our help, we start making our way to the hills. The rocky places David would have been surrounded by were treacherous. In other words, it was easy to lose one's footing, especially in sandals. This is what we're working with. The smallest things can make us stumble, just like a pebble can topple over our whole body weight. Smallest things can make us topple. Ever been running or working out, outside working in the yard, and it's just the tiniest little pebble that sent you flying? That's our surroundings, folks. If I can not belittle the hurt and the death that's come from COVID-19, I don't want to do that, but I do want to say that the whole thing is just a pebble. And we're losing our footing over the smallest thing. But, but, but when we lift our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from, God promises that he will not let your foot be moved. In other words, I take great encouragement from that, folks. I find a lot of hope in that verse by, by God encouraging me that, hey, your footing, your standing, your purpose, your calling hasn't moved, it hasn't changed, it hasn't gone anywhere, you haven't missed it, your foot will not be moved. I was just talking about, before we started this whole thing, that we ordered 120 chairs for our church building. When we all come back, there hopefully will be some new chairs there, if not before. And you know, you get caught up thinking, man, if church is never the same, and if I base it off of these numbers that we saw last month, then we don't even need 120 chairs anymore. And I was talking to a pastor friend who said, no, 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 man. 
God's not going to let you waste his money. You're going to need every single one of those chairs, if not more. You will need every one of those chairs. Guys, when God says he will not let your foot be moved, he's saying he has firmly planted the church for such a time as this. Instead of seeking answers or asking why, ask him his purpose for you during these trying times. Our progress has not slipped, decided church. We're still in the groove. Our placement is firm. Our standing is sure. Our footing is secure. He's got us. We were made for this. God is not done. His purpose for us is not over, and it's not even altered due to 2020. We have not lost progress. We're right on track. God's saying, your footing is secure. You're right on track. You're hitting your groove. Don't stop now. You're made for this. Anybody out there feel like, I, I, I must have missed it. This is crazy. 2020 is from the abyss of hell. The devil is all, no, 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 no. Remember what we just sang about? You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. God is so much bigger than what's going on. Trust on the mountain of his promise. And then I love how David follows up by saying, hey, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Why is this significant? Because David was a shepherd, and from his point of view, it was so important that the shepherd of the flock stay awake all night. He would lay across the entryway of the, of the, of the sheepfold. The little is a very low wall. They would keep the sheep, because sheep can't jump. So the wall of the sheepfold was very low and the shepherd would have to lay across the entrance and he would have to stay awake all night to protect the sheep from the wolves or from thieves that would try to steal a sheep. And it was oftentimes that when a shepherd would wake up and there would be destruction or the shepherd would wake up and count a sheep and there'd be one missing, it's because the shepherd fell asleep. God is our shepherd. David, from that point of view, says, God is not sleeping. He's not tired. He's not tired of the coronavirus. He's not tired of dealing with his people. He's not tired of pursuing the lost. He's not tired of working in your life. He's awake. He is moving. He is alive. He is full of energy. He has a plan. It's the same plan. It's his purpose. It's why he came and died on a cross and shed his blood. He has work to do. He is alive and he's moving. The Bible says that he's not sleeping. He's not even slumbering. That gives us the opportunity to say this. He's not asleep, so we can. He doesn't rest so that we can. He doesn't let go so that we can. The sheep has no worries at night. The sheep doesn't check on the shepherd every five minutes. Hey, you wake. Hey, the sheep aren't nudging the shepherd saying, wake up, dude. My life is in your hands, buddy. No, God is awake. God is active. God is working. God is in, in, he's engaged and he's energized so that you and I can take moments of reprieve, so that we can relax, so that we can rest, so that we can sleep, and most importantly, so we can take a time out and lift our eyes. Lift our eyes to the hills from where our help comes. Number two, rest on the mountain of his protection. The rest of the chapter, verses five through eight, says the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Guess what? 
Not only does God hold all things together, not only is our keeper, but what does the right hand in Scripture represent? The right hand is the hand they would do warfare with. The right hand is the hand that they would do work with. The right hand, if you read in Nehemiah, is where they would, they would work with their left hand and hold their swords in their right hand so they would be prepared for battle at any time. In other words, God watching over us and God being our help is not an excuse and it does not cripple our work or our movement or our warfare. It enables it. The fact that God is our helper does not say, hey, we can just sit back and idly rest and relax and just kind of coast through life. No, the Bible says he's our shade. He's our shade on our right hand. In other words, he provides the energy. He provides the resources for the hand that does warfare and work on the behalf of the kingdom of God. God's saying, don't stop. I'm, I'm your source of energy. I'm your help. He's our shade by our right hand, the hand that's supposed to to be actively engaged. I'm left-handed, but that doesn't excuse the fact that I was born into a right-hand world. Y'all want to talk about a movement or a label? Let's talk about equal rights for left-handed people. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But that right hand was, was, was the engaged hand for warfare and work. And God is saying, I am equipped you. I am the shade over your right hand. I'm the energy and the source. I bring the much needed supplies to the front lines so that you can keep going and keep moving forward for the kingdom. Don't slow down. You're in your groove. Again, your calling and your purpose and your footing and your standing and your placement is secure in me. Keep climbing up those hills. Pursue me. Find me. Send it. Full send. We say that a lot these days. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. It's talking about the harshest of circumstances. The moon refers to the lonely seasons. God is there. There's a word study there. Shamar, it comes from Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. It's all right here in this psalm. I can't have time for it. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 7, Spurgeon says this, The wings of Jehovah amply guard his own from evils great and small, temporal and eternal. Think about that. The wings of Jehovah. You ever picture God with wings? I do sometimes. It refers to his wings in other places. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God will look like. I do know he has the body and form of a person, but apparently he's got wings or something like it or detachable wings or virtual wings, cyber wings, digital wings. I don't know what he's got, but there's something there. <laughs> and... Um, And his wings are so ample to guard. I love the way Spurgeon said that. Sometimes it's just nice to know when we're talking about God being our helper, we're talking about God guarding us and defending us and being our shade and and, uh, being our wings. Sometimes it's nice to know that God didn't just employ his guardian angels to watch over us, but no, he's personally invested in our care. It's not just that we have a guardian angel we can... We can thank God for or, you know, his presence. He's got angels around us, which is true. But he didn't employ them so that he could take a pass or he didn't send them so that he's got other more important business affairs to tend to of this world. No, the Bible says the psalmist David said he's personally, individually invested in my care and my protection. Almighty God cares about you, is invested in your protection. 
Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. The Lord is protecting our travel, our daily routines. We are not to live in fear. Christian, believer, church, we are not to live in fear. It doesn't mean we live foolishly. It doesn't mean we live without regard to government or laws, but we are not to live in fear. The Bible makes that clear. He protects our goings in, our goings out, and our comings in. The Lord protects our travel, our daily routines. Spurgeon also says this, our exits and entrances are under one protection. Talk about a home protection plan. You might be behind, I don't even know. I, I can't even think of any, but a lot of, I slap these fakes. This is called monotronics. It's just fake. I don't even have a home security plan, but I'm hoping the burglars see the sticker and like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> They're just stickers. But we have so much security in these cameras. Even at the church, we've got security cameras. We've got home protection plans. We've got LifeLock and Norton and all this stuff. God's saying, you're not to live in fear. I am the ultimate life protection plan. It literally says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life, your, the whole thing, from beginning to end. After all, he's Alpha and Omega. What a beautiful psalm that teaches us to look up, to lift our eyes to the mountains from where our help comes from. I want to take a few minutes in conclusion to examine some important mountains, some attributes of God. Let us lift our eyes and look up to some well-known mountains throughout Scripture and how God helped his people there. And we'll go quickly. Mount Ararat. This was the mountain that God brought Noah's Ark to. It was a place of rest. It was a place of hope and new beginnings. It was a promise that he would never flood the earth again. Have you met God on that mountain? Have you found rest in God this morning for a new start, a fresh beginning? Mount Moriah, this is where God provides a lamb after a test of obedience for Abraham and Isaac. He will always make a way. Have you seen God? miraculously provide after a test of your faith. Have you met God on Mount Moriah? Mount Sinai, God gives his law, not for us to be perfect, but to point us to him as he is the fulfiller and savior of our souls. Have you seen God? Point your heart towards him through his laws. Have you met him on Mount Sinai? Mount Nebo, God chose Moses the promised land. God wants blessing for our lives. Have you seen God's future for yourself? Have you asked him to take you up to Mount Nebo and show you what could be in your life? Have you asked him to show you his generous, generational blessing on your family? Have you met God on Mount Nebo, Mount Gilboa, where God delivered David from King Saul for good? Could have been where he wrote Psalm 121 from. The Bible promises he will put our enemies underneath our feet. Have you seen God destroy your enemies or take down strongholds that stand or stood in your way? Have you seen him move the enemy for you? Have you met him on Mount Gilboa, Mount Carmel, where God performs a miracle for Elijah in front of the prophets of Baal? Never wonder if God will show up to make himself known on your behalf because he will. Have you seen or called on God to perform a miracle in your life in the presence of your enemies? Have you met him on Mount Carmel, Mount Horeb? where God met Elijah when he was hiding from Jezebel. God whispers because he's close. Have you met God in a lonely place when you felt isolated and attacked? Have you met God on Mount Horeb, Mount Ephraim, where Elisha prayed that God would show Gehazi the angel army surrounding their enemy? God 
plus one always equals a majority has God come through in a way for you that you didn't expect, that you couldn't have seen? Have you needed heavenly vision, heavenly sight to see the angel armies? Have you asked him to open up your eyesight and show you the vast armies at his disposal that work on your behalf? Have you met him on Mount Ephraim, Mount Moriah, where God again instructed Solomon, this shall be the place to worship me. I want this to be the building place of my temple, a place for my holiness to be experienced and worshiped. Have you met God? In his holy place, have you met God on the mountain? Have you been moved through worship? Have you been moved through his word to become full into the presence of God? Have you met him on Mount Moriah? The Sermon on the Mount, where God does ultimate healings and miracles and teaches his people the right and godly way to live. Have you immersed yourself in his, in his instruction laid out in the Sermon on the Mount? Have you met him there, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ came in all of his holiness and talked with Moses and talked with the other one, Elijah, and showed him, showed both of them what would come. Have you met God in a prophetic moment in your life? Have you met him on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Olivet, where Jesus communed with his Father on our, on our behalf, where the Bible says he sweat as it were drops of blood? Have you met him in a grieving point in your life? When you couldn't see through, it was darkness all around, and you, all you could do is press into the presence of God in anxiousness and fear. Maybe it's over a child, a wayward kid. Maybe it's over a spouse. Maybe it's over a break, broken relationship. The places in our life that touch heartstrings and emotions that aren't even, you can't even put into words. Have you met God on Mount Olivet, Mount Calvary? Otherwise known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. The mountain has eye sockets, and it literally looks like a skull. You should look it up. Mount Calvary, where God took all of our sin, past, present, and future. He placed judgment. He placed his full wrath on his son on our behalf. Have you met God at Mount Calvary? Have you asked for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you repented and come to God, stripped bare, and said, Jesus I have nothing to offer to this relationship. All I can come to you is in humbleness and ask you for your mercy, your grace, and accept the sacrifice, accept the substitution that you worked on my behalf. Would you cover my sin? Would you come into my life? Would you make me brand new? Have you met God at Mount Calvary? And guess what, folks? Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the ultimate mountain. It's another name for heaven. It's another name for the future kingdom of God that is up in the heavenlies now, but eventually will descend. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes back the second time, that same Mount Olivet, where he prayed to God fervently to remove this cup of agony from him, he will literally descend on Mount Olivet, and the Bible says that the mountain will split in half. And the valley that's created is the Valley of Armageddon, where he will wage a final war against the devil, against our enemies, and put them to hell. And we will reign supreme in Zion. Mount Zion will come down on earth and he will be creating a brand new holy and wonderful heaven and earth combo unit thing where we get to worship him in all of his fullness and all of his glory none of us have met him on mount zion yet but we will but we will because let me show you a verse in closing and then we'll pray this is these are some prophetic words from isaiah chapter 13 they haven't happened yet 
But as we're speaking about mountains, as we're speaking about lifting our eyes up to the hills from where our help comes from, it literally will. Jesus is descending from the clouds on top of a mountain one day. And look at what he says in Isaiah 13, verse 4. A sound of a tumult, that means a big old crowd, a lot of noise. The sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land. From the end of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Folks, if you thought 2020 was bad, I have news for you. It's going to get a whole lot worse. It's called the tribulation. It's called the signs and wonders of God's wrath being poured out on this nation. And while I don't believe in scaring people into salvation, I will say, if you haven't met God on Mount Calvary, you are not ready for Mount Zion. You are not ready. Folks, it's time to get serious as the church. It's time to claim our ground. It's time to believe in the firm footing that he has enabled us to capture and to move forward and to conquer more because his kingdom is coming and he is awake and he is alive and he is moving and there is work to do. He's shaded at our right hand so that we can com complete warfare and work for the kingdom's sake. Where do we look? Where do we turn for help? We lift up our eyes to the hills. That's where our help comes from. Let's pray. Jesus would you shift our focus this morning as you're shifting wires and other things around us? Would you shift our focus and our perspective to see you high and lifted up? Allow us to see the mountain upon which you reside in this moment. God, we know you're coming. You're coming in the fullness of your glory. You're coming to wage war on a world that has turned their backs on you. And those of us who have met you on Mount Calvary, will join you as soldiers of the army of the Lord to wage war both on the heavenlies and upon the earth against everyone of Satan and his demons and his cohorts and his commiserators. And you will send them all once and for all to a fiery place called hell. Jesus, give us the encouragement to know that we haven't lost our footing, that our purpose is still secure, that we have not misplaced your calling in our lives, that you have our footing secure, that you are our shade, that you are our keeper, that you have our life in your hand. You are the maker and sustainer of both heaven and earth. Give us a fresh perspective. Give us fresh eyes. Help us to live as soldiers, as sojourners on this land with eyes lifted up. With eyes lifted up to the hills from that is where our help comes from. God, you are a great defender. You go before us. You come behind us.